Hello, and welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana. And I'm Kervin. And today we will be discussing the big geopolitical events of the week. But we need to talk about what's coming up next Sunday. Um, you spoke to a uh, former CIA, CIA operative and FBI yes. spy founder, Andrew Bustamante, this month. Do you have a clip for us? Yes, and I, I do have a clip, and it was a fun conversation. Uh, like you said, that's going to be released next Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it would like focus more on geopolitical events because of his career and his background. Yeah. yeah. But we also, sorry, I'm <laughs> cutting you off. More. No, 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 I wasn't. I wasn't saying anything. Okay. I'm listening to you. Um, so I, I was just gonna say that we had I've come to find out we had very similar like small town upbringings. Mm. Um, and so we hit on a lot of topics like succeeding through failure. Um, he gave a lot of good points on on not being afraid of failure. Yeah. And then something that you and I talk about a lot, which is getting out of your hometown and trying to explore the world. Yes. So here is a snippet of that conversation. When you look at the United States, most of the United States is small towns. Most of the United States is rural people you know, hashing out a life uh, without, you know, without the guarantee or promise of some six-figure job somewhere. So, you know, in 1998, when I was graduating high school, and in 1996, when I found out that there was a full-ride scholarship to a military academy that I might be able to, you know, apply for, counterculture wasn't a thing. You were either mainstream and cool, or you weren't cool. Those were the only two options. And I don't know if that's the same or different now. I don't know if high schools have found a way to make uncool kids cool. I hope so. All was that right. the, was that that's the it. end? That actually sounds really, really interesting. It was a very, very interesting conversation. I came away blown away by a lot of points that uh, that he made. So be well, on the lookout for that. We Well, we know that obviously um, bullies still exist. Yeah. <laughs> But I do like this sort of counterculture that's that's starting to take place where you can um, be yourself and it's, you know, they are more accepting of it, I think. But okay, but this is going off on a tangent. Now I'm going to do my I'm just going to deep dive. There you go. (laughs) Let's talk about high school, guys. Let's do it. No, just kidding. Um, All right. (laughs) Sorry. We did not sleep well last night. So if this comes out a jumbled mess, I apologize. But we need need to get right into this. Um, What is on your radar? So obviously, we're going to talk Russia, Ukraine, as we will do every week. Yes. Yes. Until it's resolved peacefully, hopefully. Yes, exactly. That's the hope. Um, Yes. But after that, we're going to get into the uh, the dirty bomb false flag that Russia keeps um, while well, they're pushing the Ukrainian dirty bomb story. Of course they are. They got to justify their whatever they plan on doing next, right? Exactly. Um, but then we're going to start, we're going to talk about Northern Ireland who failed to form a government this week. Um, and, and after that, we'll go right into the UK. Mm-hmm. which selected their newest prime minister. We'll talk about how that affects geopolitics. Okay. Um, once that's done, the U.S. introduced a bill to sanction China, and so we're going to get into what China said about it. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. Some interesting uh, interesting developments there, especially on the cusp of you know the U.S. elections coming up soon. 
Oh, yeah. But before we do that, we'll talk about North Korea's seventh nuclear test. And what I mean by before we do that, we are going to talk about the U.S. elections. Oh. And how those elections could change the global power structure. Of not course. Not just U.S. And yes, we do have history's mysteries. Of course. We're, we're going to talk about the ghost army. So very excited about that one. Ooh, spooky. Mm-hmm. I like it. Okay. Well, Halloween edition. Well, Halloween edition. All right. So what is the big news coming out of the war in Ukraine? All right. Um, there's not been much besides bombings. So yeah. there's been a lot of talk. Yeah. Over the last couple of weeks. Um, right. Very little action, like I said, uh, besides Russia continuing to bomb places like Lviv, Kiev, Zaporizhia, those those cities. Yeah. Now, I think we have reached the point in this conflict where the world is pretty much disillusioned to what's going on in Ukraine. Kind of turning it off yeah. in their brains. They're tired of talking about it and hearing about it. Yes. Is that what you mean? Okay. And it, And it's not just my analysis. So this is stuff that I've seen um, from several other very respected conflict analysts. Mm -hmm. um, they've been highlighting the exact same thing. So we're over 270 days of conflict in Ukraine, over 270 days. Um, and the world is dealing with economic supply chain and violent crime crises to go mm -hmm. along with this conflict. So it's understandable. Yeah. Um, and that's not to mention the coming invasion of Taiwan. Um, so. Hey, guys, it's quite a time to be alive. I feel like we've been saying that for about three years now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you didn't even bring up the nuclear discussions. Oh, yeah. Last week, you talked about Russia being outspoken about Ukraine using a dirty bomb and how that could be a precursor for a false flag event from Russia. Is there any update on that information? Yeah, and last week seems like ages ago. Back to yeah. the, I'm quite a time to be alive. Mm -hmm. um, but this week, Putin basically outlined what will likely occur in his planned false flag event. How? Uh, well, Russia sent a letter this week to the United Nations pushing its claim that Ukraine is preparing to use a nuclear-laced dirty bomb on its own territory. <laughs> Now, in the 310-page document, it outlined Ukraine's plan to use these bioweapons. But outside of that document, uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin outlined how Ukraine is planning to is planning this attack on Chernobyl. What? And so that's the most interesting comment of the week to me, because that basically lays out what Russia is going to be planning in a false flag that would then allow them to use a tactical nuclear weapon inside of Ukraine. Does the use of a tactical nuclear weapon in Ukraine force NATO and the U.S. to get involved militarily in the conflict in Ukraine? So that one's tough to gauge because um, it's not clear to me that NATO um, or the U.S. will be forced to get involved for any reason other than an attack on the U.S. or a NATO country. Mm -hmm. um, so I still believe that's the catalyst for getting involved. Um, there's so many layers through that that yeah. we can't even get into in this episode. Uh, but, oh, by the way, the U.S. Yeah. is going to vote next month to elect several senators and House delegates, and that's going to really change U.S. policy towards Russia and also China. But we'll talk more on that later. Fair enough. Um, but since you brought up elections and changing governments, 
what is going on in Northern Ireland as they attempt to form their own government. So as we record this, Northern Ireland failed to reach an agreement on forming its government um, after elections in May. May? Yes, in May, which, uh, which gave power to the Sinn Féin leftist nationalist party. I gave them the majority of the seats in Northern Ireland. Can you explain leftist nationalism? <laughs> yeah, it sounds counterintuitive, right? Yeah. Um, nationalism is seen as a right-wing um, ideology. But, Here, anyways. Right. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. Um, yeah. But leftist nationalism in Ireland is a left-wing political party that holds positions such as um, social equality as its main platform. Um, mm mm-hmm. And it is definitely in contrast, it's in direct contrast to the far-right ideology in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Northern Ireland has been a leftist, nationalist, or democratic socialist country for quite a long time. Uh, but this is the first time a nationalist party has held majority power in Northern Ireland. How does this lack of government affect the many crises every country is dealing with in this world? <laughs> Right now. Well, um, well, first, let me say that there are going to be elections in December to form the government. Um, And so the hope is that the winner of that election is more focused on improving the economy, improving trade with the UK, um, and and helping out the globe in deterring future conflicts. It's literally blowing my mind. I can't get over the fact that they held these elections in May and they're just now saying. Well, there was a a deadline um, today. October. 28th. Oh, oh, okay, okay. That makes more sense. Yes. I was just like, what have they been doing for the last yeah. two months? <laughs> Trying to form a government. Trying uh, to was, get that government. This was the deadline for that, um, and, and it's passed. Yeah, they can't. They couldn't they can't do it. Figure it so out. Now it now it goes to December. Yeah. Okay, so what is the focus of the leftist nationalist party? I have to say it really slow because it would come out as a jumbled mess if I say yeah. it fast. My mouth <laughs> would steady flub- wins the race. Yes, my mouth would flub it up. All right, so um, so Sinn Fein wants to unify the two Irish countries, the Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland, and Ireland proper, mm-hmm. um, and form a singular Ireland, which would be apart from the UK, from the United Kingdom. But uh, you know, I don't see that happening because of everything else that the world is dealing with. Yeah, there we've got bigger fish to fry than yeah. them just buying Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's stay in Europe and the United Kingdom and talk about the new prime minister of the UK. Do you have any information on who he is and what his plans for the UK are? Yes. So first, it's uh, Rishi Sunak, who actually ran against Liz Truss in September and lost. Oh, gosh, we're running out of prime ministers. <laughs> oh, it, it gets even better when you talk about running out of prime ministers. Um, okay. But as we spoke, you know, last week, Liz Truss' time as prime minister only lasted six weeks, and she was forced to resign due to some bad economic yeah. plans and things of that nature. Now, yeah. well, once that happened, uh, Rishi Sanak became the front runner. Well, okay, not... The front runner, I guess I should say he became the front runner after Boris Johnson declined to what? run again. So, so they were going to try to bring him back? Yes. This world? So what is his plan for the UK? All right. So um, let's first look at his past so that we can kind of analyze what he thinks is best for the country through, mm. you know, his previous comments and actions. Um, first, he was a supporter of Brexit. Oh, 
And, um, and he's also got this theory of quote unquote free ports, which is a long time ideal of his. What the heck is a free port? Okay, good question. So free ports are areas near ports or airports where goods can be imported and exported without paying taxes. So this oh. it theoretically encourages encourages trade and it can possibly improve the economy through like these free trade agreements. Okay. Um he also talking more about, you know, his past and and what he believes basically predicted Liz Truss's economic plan of lower taxes would be her undoing. Um, so mm-hmm. we know his economic platform will be different from his predecessor. So then the big question is, how does this change the geopolitical landscape? Well, first, I just want to say, can we give it up to the UK for electing their mm-hmm. first Hindu to the yeah. position? That's huge. That's amazing. We had Diwali this week. So with mm-hmm. Diwali separa- uh, celebrated, um, that's got to be a huge celebration for the Hindu people of the UK and globally. Yeah, that's amazing. I like to highlight those things. Um, of course. Shows progress, I guess. <laughs> um, now, let's go to his positions and how they're going to affect geopolitics. Um, so while Sanak is part of the conservative party, he does not completely align with all conservative ideas. Mainly, he supports LB- LGBTQ rights. Um, And he asked for the UK to become one of the safest and most welcoming countries for all LGBTQ people. Um, He supports Ukraine against Russia. Um, However, you know, the conservative isolationist ideal is one that he holds. He does not want to send any UK military into the conflict in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Now, like I said, he's not going to lower taxes like Liz Truss wanted to, um, but he doesn't support increasing taxes. Mm-hmm. And he was also opposed to U.S. President Joe Biden's plan to put a 21% tax on the entire global population. How's he going to do that? Well, it's part of the World Economic Forum and trying to build sort of this global community of, of all citizens or one. Oh, Lord. Now, as I mentioned last week, he is going to become the face of the United Kingdom, the face mm-hmm. of the allies that will get together in, you know... If in the we, case that China invades Taiwan, and then we get yeah. closer to World War Three. Thank you, and congratulations to him. And honestly, I will speak for you, Kervin. You know me. Uh, <laughs> we wish him the best of luck and hope the world is a better place with him leading one of the major global militaries and economies. Yes. Now, since you brought up China... What has the Chinese Communist Party been up to since they elected their president for the third time? All right. Well, Xi, is that how you Xi. say it? Xi. Okay. I yes. just wanted to make sure I was saying it right. And I'm not the, the perfect one to uh, pronounce his name, Xi yeah. Jinping, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll get through that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on it together. Yeah. Um, so the Chinese embassy in Washington sent an 800 word email. I don't know. <laughs> why it was put out how many words were in the yeah, email. Yeah, I was about but... to say, why does that matter? It's a lot of thought that went into the email. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was in response to what it called an um, arrogant and despicable bill presented to the U.S. Senate this week by Republican Senator Josh Howley. Oh, I wish I could say I was shocked that it came from Howley. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's... Um, he... And, and we'll, I mean, we're going to speak more about this situation when we get into the U.S. elections because, you know, depending on who holds the House and Senate yeah. in the U.S., you have to have both plus the presidency 
yeah to, to affect any change in the u.s yeah um, so we're going to talk about that and how it's going to determine u.s actions against china russia iran all of those power players so china was mad that senator holly proposed this bill but what was in the bill all right, so it was a bill to sanction China's President Xi Jinping mm-hmm. for Beijing's human rights abuses in um, in Xinjiang, mm-hmm. which uh, that is where, if you remember, the majority of Muslim Uyghurs had been basically forced into slave labor. Yeah. Um, so then the email, which was sent to Holly's office by a counselor at the China's embassy, it really shows China's sensitivity over threats of sanctions from the U.S., and this could actually foreshadow further tensions if Republicans regain control of Congress in next month's midterm elections. It seems as if we're talking U.S. elections a lot today. You state oftentimes on this podcast that you like to stay out of political talk. Uh, yeah, I think that elections are important. I yeah. just don't think identifying like the extreme differences between and I'll say the two U.S. political parties, but political parties across the globe. Um, yeah. I don't think that advances society in the right way. Well, we will see how apolitical you are or you can be later in this episode when we talk about those elections. Yeah. But first, though, let's talk about North Korea, which continues to provoke the U.S., South Korea and Japan. They are getting real cocky. What? There is a lot of talk about the seventh nuclear test by North Korea. What are the implications once Kim Jong-un greenlights the seventh test? All right, so uh, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, as you said, is going to soon carry out an atomic test as they continue to develop a tactical nuclear weapon. Mm. But the U.S. and South Korea have laid out concerns about the unprecedented number of ballistic missile tests, um, as well as this upcoming atomic test, the first one in five years. Mm -hmm. Now, that test would signal that Kim has managed to grow his weapons program through you know, two very different U.S. administrations between the Trump and the Biden administration. Yeah. And despite the COVID-19 pandemic, um, this would prove North Korea is more advanced in its nuclear arsenal than previously thought. When we talk about leaders like Putin and Xi, we usually say that the use of nuclear weapons globally is possible, but not probable, mm-hmm. unless something changes significantly. Can you say the same for Kim? I can't, no. Um, to me, he seems like, and I've called him a wild card before, mm-hmm. um, but he seems like the type of leader that would fire off nuclear weapons with zero regard for the repercussions. You know, he wouldn't care about the effect it may have on his own life or his people's lives. He's never cared about his people anyways. Um, so. Yeah, and, and with North Korea... We talk about assassinating Putin and what that would do, but yeah. for North Korea, it's not as simple as planning an assassination of the North Korean leader. Yeah. So there's currently no known rules for secession within the hierarchy of North Korea's ruling party. Other than that family. Right. And some have thought his sister would take over, and she is far more brutal. To she the is? Yes. She is, she is far more ready to go into conflict. Um, they they see her as not only an extension of Kim, but yeah. a more brutal extension of Kim. Um, Yikes. Women, then, am I right? Am I right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, but with his health, you know, he had those health concerns. Kim did yeah, in 2020. Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember that. He may be planning the secession already, um, and his successor, like I said, could be more brutal and less inviting than he was, or Mm -hmm. he is. Um, And not to mention, it isn't out the realm of possibility that the closer Kim gets to death due to these health issues, the more likely he is to launch nuclear weapons. Yeah, Yeah. probably. Makes makes sense, sense. right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to do a deep dive into North Korea over the next few weeks, um, and we're going to put out a blog on sort of these different alliances that are happening right now. Um, we give more insight into North Korea as a whole, Russia, China, all the power players. Okay, well, we'll look forward to that. Now, on to the U.S. elections. Can you give your thoughts, your analysis, and the geopolitical implications of the upcoming midterm elections? Uh, certainly. So as we record this, it's the end of October. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just over a week away from... What is a really important election in the U.S.? A lot of people assume it's like it's the presidential election that's the most important. And so these midterms are just an afterthought. Yeah. This year, um, the U.S. is facing an economic crisis, supply chain issues, multiple conflicts that they need to either get in to or stay out of, um, as well as possible future conflicts. And so the structure of the Senate and House of Representatives will be key in identifying solutions to all these problems. Now, right now, I'm saying that right now, because things can change every day, uh, but it appears that the conservative Republicans are going to take control of both the House and Senate. That's not unprecedented, right? Uh, Correct. So typically, the party that holds the office of president sees declines in power during a midterm election. Now, this mm-hmm. happened in 2018 when Democrats took the House and Republicans lost several Senate seats during the Trump administration. So what is the importance of who controls the House and Senate? I'm obviously asking this question for people who don't quite know how our government works because right. we have an international audience. Can you break down the importance in the U.S. and then globally? Um, sure. So as I mentioned earlier, the U- in the U.S., you kind of need control of both the House and Senate in order to affect change in the country. Yeah, and advance. which is why nothing has gotten done. Yeah, exactly. The- <laughs> That's exactly why. Um, and it's kind of like if they have a safeguard for these street- extreme agendas on both sides. And, and this is part of that um, part of that safeguard. OK. Now, if Republicans take over both the House and Senate, President Joe Biden is handcuffed with what he can do to push economic or even foreign policy programs. Yeah. Um, So that means these elections could affect domestic and foreign policy at a time when the world is honestly in total chaos. And you love chaos. I do. Is that what you're hoping for in November? Uh, No, not not really. Um, Yeah. I would hope, honestly, that more centrists are voted in um, because those individuals can use their position to work with both parties on the problems that are facing U.S. citizens, you know, people they're supposed to support. Yeah. So what would you like to see them work on? All right. So first, this is not going to be a shocker. Someone needs to fix the economy. Yes. And it's not me. I'm not an economist. Yes, that's (laughs) true, too. (laughs) Um. But we've been inundated with reports about the coming recession, but no reports on the solution. Of course. So let's try to find that solution, people. Yeah, let's quit bitching um, and get something done. And yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> uh, 
honestly, the U.S. is going to have to get involved in a global conflict soon. And the U.S. cannot get involved in a global conflict while also dealing with a complete economic collapse. Yeah. Um, after that, I think the next thing is tougher sanctions on China. That okay. has got to happen. Um, the U.S. needs to be more aggressive in protecting its allies like Japan, Australia, and New Zealand. Oh, what about Russia? Oh, that is a great question, because if you read political news in the U.S., you probably have this sense that Republicans may be harsh on China, uh, but they love Russia, <laughs> which wasn't the case when Mitt Romney was was running in 2012. Yeah. He was basically the first person in the U.S. to bring up Russia, Russia. As, as a threat, as yeah. a rising new threat. And he was made fun of for it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so we've kind of seen the, the flip, the script flip. Yeah. Um, because in some individual cases, that is true. Some Republicans are uh, more friendly to Russia than they probably should be. But other cases, Republicans just want to stick to domestic policy, not get involved globally. And that can be seen as being, you know, way more lax on Russia than other, uh, other people are. Mm -hmm. Now, I do think that the U.S. needs to stick to its harsh tone on Russia and possibly do even more than we already are for Ukraine. Um, but that is where I stand. Um, and I also stand on this statement. I don't think any of that is going to happen. So what do you think will happen? Uh, so it's going to be gridlock in D.C. Yeah. Um, nothing's going to get done as both parties are going to push for the 2024 elections. Right, right. Because he who holds the presidency holds the money, holds the power. Um, yeah. Now, by by that time, we might already be in World War III. Ugh. And, and that's going to be an election that will be um, fiercely contested, and it's going to lead to complete chaos. Again. We are just so polarized in the world. I'm talking right. globally. Right. Yeah. Every tiny event is debated as if it's like the most important event in the world, followed mm -hmm. by the next event that is the most important in the world. Yeah. It just becomes exhausting. It leads us into this global crisis that we're all dealing with. It's not good. That does not sound very optimistic, sir. Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't have much optimism for where our political discourse is headed. Yeah. That's it. Um, I do hope the pendulum swings back to neutrality or, mm. or central centrists yeah. in politics. Yeah. Uh, but in order to do that, a catastrophe has to happen. I don't want that either. Well, then let's move on to history's mysteries so we don't send you down that rabbit, rabbit hole of disillusionment. <laughs> what, <laughs> what do you have for this week? All right. Thank you. Thank you, Tiana, for looking out for my mental health. Thank you, the audience, for continuing to listen so that we can do History's Mysteries. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, it guys. It is very much appreciated. Mm -hmm. um, and this week, since World War III seems to be discussed every day, I want to take us on a stroll back to World War II. Talk, huh. talk about one of the greatest deceptions since the Trojan Horse. Okay, I'm intrigued. Continue. All right. Oh, I know what this is about now. Yes. Okay. Keep not going. Not as spooky anymore. Not, not as spooky. <laughs> um, so I'm going to discuss the ghost army of World War II. 
Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with paranormal activity, but has everything to do with inflatable tanks. <laughs> Please tell us about the inflatable tanks. All right. So the, the 23rd Headquarters Special Troops was known as the Ghost Army. They even got a number. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that's called. You would think I would, but I don't know what that's called. What's that called? All those... The the know. unit signifier? The... Oh, my God. I never would have come up with that <laughs> word. I never would have come up with that. Yes, thank you. The unit signifier. So, um, yeah, this they're an interesting unit of, of people because... They brought together artists, um, career military officers, and audio experts devoted to the art of deception. I love it. And by using a combination of science and art, the Ghost Army staged nearly two dozen missions between May of 1944 and 1945. Mm -hmm. And it was the sole purpose of tricking Nazi troops on the whereabouts of Allied forces in Europe. Its existence was kept secret for more than 40 years after the war ended. Yeah. The, the ghost army was officially classified until the middle of the 1990s. That's incredible. Okay, but you, you said inflatable tanks. So where are the inflatable tanks? Yeah. So one of the missions I wanted to highlight was this use of inflatable military equipment during World War II. So these uh, d- they were called dummy tanks. Um, they were used in Operation Fortitude uh, prior to the U.S. landing at Normandy. Now, Operation Fortitude was the counter operation to Normandy. And during this operation, Mm. they were used to confuse German intelligence in two ways. Uh, One, by making it seem like the Allies had more tanks and military equipment than it really did. Um, And two, to hide and downplay the importance of the location of their real tanks in order to make it seem that the invasion would occur at Pas de Calais rather than at Normandy. Mm. Now, Operation Fortitude was a huge success. Um, The U.S. intercepted communications between a Japanese diplomat and Adolf Hitler, where Hitler says how he believed the United States will invade through that uh, Path de Calais region Mm. as Mm -hmm. opposed to Normandy. And um, anyone who has seen Band of Brothers, which, by the way, it is that time of year. It's that time of year. Watch your Band of Brothers in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. We will be doing that. Um, oh, heck yes. And and it's, or anyone who has studied World War II, even just a little bit, knows that the Normandy invasion was really the turning point of the European front mm-hmm. because the, uh, the Allied forces caught Germans by surprise and it turned the momentum in favor of the Allied forces. So the Germans really believed inflatable tanks were real? Yeah, and we kind of have to understand this was in conjunction with signals intelligence where they yeah. used fake wireless radio activity, um, as well as very realistic-looking equipment. And it was designed by very talented artists. Um, and not to also need to mention that cameras were not close to the type of uh, yeah. cameras that we have yeah. now. This would not fly no. these days at all. This is not something that can be carried out anymore. <laughs> not at all. And when actually when doing the research, I kind of looked back at my own career in imagery analysis and like mm-hmm. the satellite photos. So satellite photos today have come a long, long way. They are way yeah. more advanced than when I started 20 years ago. Um, the type of, if 
now you could actually see. <laughs> yes. Uh, the you don't type have of, to just guess. All right. But I could see myself misidentifying that equipment 20 years ago. Yeah. Oh, so you compared those, yes. like the satellite imagery. Wait, they didn't have, did they have They did not have satellite imagery, but they did have uh, balloon, hot air balloons or blimps and things of that nature where they would take a picture with a camera uh, of the ground. And that's oh, where we get some right. of these photos from. Gosh, that's crazy. No wonder that worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it would be hard to identify unless you were right there or at least yeah. fairly close. You got to be really close. Really close. Um, so is there anything else for this week? I mean, after that, we are out of time this week. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. As always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have a moment, head over to Apple and Spotify and give us a five-star review because those can help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And as always, if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please follow us at oakwindanalytics.com on Instagram because we are revamping our website. We are revamping. We've got some blogs out. Uh, go ahead. Go over to oakwindanalytics.com. Check the blogs out. Uh, very informative. Also, I want to um, reiterate the Apple thing because we, we're now charting in the U.S. again, and it's all thanks to you guys, honestly. Our wonderful listeners. Uh, I, I appreciate I mean, yeah, we obviously. are blown away by the support, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep, keep doing it. Share it with friends and family. Um, yeah. But I, as I always say, would like to tell you, Tiana, thank Mm -hmm. you so much for being here with me. And until next week, stay safe out there.